So now let's jump into the scriptures. If you got a Bible, open it up to Romans chapter 11. Uh, we've been teaching through this letter for, for quite some time now. I think this is actually like week 30 that we've just gone through this letter. And chapter 11 that we're in right now is arguably the most dense chapter of the entire book. And, it's, and when I say dense, I mean it's just thick. There's a lot of information in there. And so we got a long way to go and a short time to get there, all right? And so eastbound and down, let's go. Romans chapter 11, verse 11. I reference that often. If you don't know what it is, you missed the greatest movie ever, all right? So <laughs> Romans chapter 11, verse 11. Let's start there and jump in. It says, so I ask, did they, being Israel, stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, let's, let's stop and chat here for a little bit. Paul has been talking about the Jewish people in chapters 9, 10, and 11 and God's redemptive plan in history. And the reason why he's talking about this is because he's writing this letter to the Romans and the Roman church was primarily made up of Gentiles because it was far away from Jerusalem. And so when he's writing this letter to them, he's talking about all that God has done in chapters one through eight to save us because we're all sinners, we all fall short. And now he's helping them understand that just because God has done that, just because he saved the Gentiles, doesn't mean that he's given up on the Jewish people. Doesn't mean that he's given up on Israel. So he's writing primarily to a non-Jewish audience, helping them understand that God is not done. And that helping them to understand also that when God saved them, he did it in such a way so that Israel would see what God was doing and want that. And he uses this word here, jealous, and we have to talk about it because then whenever we think of the word jealous, we kind of go back to our middle school brain, if you will, and some of you are still there, so it's pretty simple for you uh, to understand. That was a joke, all right? But when we think of jealousy, we think of like that crazy person in middle school that was jealous and like stalkerish, right? And so we see the word jealousy only in a negative context. And so when even the Bible talks about God being jealous, we tend to think, oh, well, that's not good. Why would God be jealous? But when we think about jealousy, it's not just in a negative context. Literally what jealousy is about is you want exclusivity in a relationship. But when it's God who wants people to exclusively have a relationship with him, not because he needs it, not because he needs to fill up something that's lacking in him, but because he's saying, listen, there's no other God besides me. It's not a bad jealousy. It is God wanting the best for those that he made. It's like our, us as parents, again, we are jealous for our kids, not in the sense like we need them to fill up something in us that's lacking, but we want the best for them. So we're gonna help them make the best decisions. And so when God is talking, or Paul's talking here about God's activity to save the Gentiles, part of the reason why God did what he did is he wanted the Jewish people to understand how God loves and then say, man, I want a relationship with God. So he's talking about the whole activity of God. Really, Romans chapter 11, in a lot of ways, describes a lot of what happened in the Old Testament. So let's continue to read through this. Again, I told you there's a lot here. Verse 12, he says, now if their trespass means riches for the world and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. Again, he's writing this to the church in Rome. 
Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order to somehow, in order somehow to make my fellow Jews, Jews jealous and thus save some of them. So Paul wants us as Gentile people, and Gentiles, again, if you don't know, it's just people who are non-Jewish. The Bible just breaks it up that way to say the Jewish people, those are literally the physical descendants of Abraham and then everybody else that is outside of that. And so God, through Abraham, said all the way back, I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to bless the nations of the earth. And so from the beginning, God was always going to bless all the nations of the earth through Israel, the nation of Israel. But when God did that, when he blessed the nations, and this is why the, the, the faith, trusting in Christ, went outside of Jerusalem, because just imagine if, if it never went outside the Jewish people, if it never went outside Jerusalem, if the first disciples didn't take Jesus's command to be his witnesses in you know, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, then the rest of the world would just have looked at that and thought, oh, this is just kind of a, re a renaissance within the Jewish faith. This is just the Jewish people finally getting their act together. And the rest of the world would see that and think, oh, that's not for us. But in the grand plan of God, in this great big story that God is writing, he uses the, the trespasses or the hardening that's come over Israel to spread it out to all the nations. And so one of the primary reasons for them to reject Christ is it forced the early Jewish believers to take it outward to the Gentiles, to take it out to the ends of the earth. They had to because they were rejected. But now what Paul is saying, one of the primary reasons that it went outward to all the nations is for it to come back to the nation of Israel. So it went out for it to boomerang back. Does that make sense? And so with Israel rejecting Jesus, faith came to us. But what Paul is wanting us to understand is, but God's not done with Israel. He's not done with them. Because if their trespass meant blessings for us, how much more so would their acceptance bring riches and blessing back to us? And so if they rejected Christ and it went out to the world, now if they trust Christ, how much more so is going to help it continue to go back out to the world? So you just see this process of what God is doing. And so what we need to understand is even though faith has come to us, it doesn't mean that God is done with the Jewish people. And so Paul's helping his Gentile people understand this. You'll understand why in just a second. For them to see, hey, listen, just because you got in doesn't mean that they're going to be out forever. So it's not total and it's not final. Now look at the next couple of verses. He says, for if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Now, he's referencing back to the root. That is a reference to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Whenever you read in the Old Testament, it says the God of these people. What he's saying is that's where it started. 
And Abraham trusted God. He believed God. And the Bible tells us his faith was credited to him as righteousness. And so now, because he did that, there are going to still be people in the future, Jewish people in the future, that will come back, and he refers to them as branches, and have the same kind of faith. And so God's not done with the lineage of Abraham, the physical descendants, ethnic Israel. He's not done with them. Just because faith has come to us doesn't mean it has left them. It started with them, and Jesus himself said this in John. Salvation is from the Jews. That's where it started, and it went out to the rest of the world, but just because it went out doesn't mean it's not gonna come back. So therefore, that informs our attitude towards the Jewish people. It, it, thank you. It, it informs how we respond to them. That is all of us set up to help us understand Paul's commands to us, which is in the next section. Look at this. It says, but if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, verse 18, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. That is true, verse 20. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Now let's stop and chat. I told you this is dense. So here's his argument. Listen, it started with the Jewish people. It went out to the nations of the world and it's going to come back to the Jewish people. And so we need to understand our attitude as Gentile people cannot be one of arrogance towards the Jewish people thinking, oh, y'all got cut off and now I got grafted in. Now this is so important and, and we don't think like this as Christians. We don't think about this, especially in the Western world. But here's what we need to understand. The goal of Jewish people is not to be grafted into Christianity. The mystery of the gospel is we Gentiles got grafted in to their olive tree. So when Jesus came, Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. We need to understand this because just the way the world categorizes stuff, and this is just kind of how we think. Like Jewish people are a religion, Christianity is a religion, and Jesus came to start Christianity. No, that's not what the Bible says. This is why Jesus didn't come and do a revolution like that. That's what they wanted him to do, but he didn't. In fact, Jesus didn't come, he didn't even call himself Christians. The early disciples didn't call themselves Christians. You go read in Acts chapter 9, other people called them Christians because they reminded them so much of Christ. So when Jesus came, he wasn't coming to start a whole new salvation plan, if you will. God doesn't have a salvation plan for the Jews and a separate salvation plan for the Gentiles. It's one, and it's through Jesus. So when Jesus came, we need to understand he was Jewish, and he came to graft in 
all those who by faith outside of the Jewish ethnicity could be grafted in and for the Jewish people themselves to be grafted in. So there's one salvation plan, one olive tree, and this olive tree is made up of Jewish branches and Gentile branches, ethnically speaking. And the word Gentile here is the Greek word ethnos. It's where we get our English word ethnicity. So the gospel of what Paul is saying here is for all ethnicities, Jewish and non-Jewish. And there's one tree, one way, and that is through Christ. So as Christian people, here's what we have to understand. We don't want Jewish people grafted into Christianity. We have to understand we were grafted in into their faith. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter two, where he says a Jew is not one outwardly, as circumcision is not outwardly, but a Jew is one inwardly. It's circumcision of the heart by the spirit. So we, this is what's crazy, we are actually grafted in to be a true Jew. But we don't think of ourselves like that. We don't think of ourselves as the true Jewish people, the true Jewish people of faith. We think of ourselves as a separate religion because that's how the world always categorizes it. But the first followers of Jesus were Jewish and they saw, oh, he is our Messiah. But most of Israel did not see Jesus as their Messiah. And so Jesus says, I'm going to take this outside of Jerusalem. I'm going to take this to all ethnos because that has always been the plan. And since that has always been the plan, I'm grafting people in that come from Jewish ethnicity and that come from all other ethnicities. So therefore, our mentality towards Jewish people, listen to me, has to be one of humility and grace. Because of these verses right here, there is absolutely, listen to me, absolutely zero room for anti-Semitism. Zero. Because if you as a Christian are anti-Semitic towards Jews, you're knocking your own family. You are Jewish. Not by birth, but by rebirth. You're not a natural branch. You're an unnatural one. You're a wild one <laughs> that God grafted in. He included in to the family of God. And this is why this is so important because Jewish people today associate so much of the hatred that they received at the hand of Christians. Did you know this? Most Jewish people today think that Hitler was a Christian because he talked about Jesus, said he believed in Jesus, and he was doing the Lord's work. Now, no well-meaning, Bible-believing person would ever say that Hitler was a believer in Jesus. Wouldn't say that. But Jewish people look at most Christians today, and that's how they associate us. And so our heart towards the people of God, ethnically speaking, Israel, Jewish people, has to be one of grace 
and humility. Not saying to them, man, if you would just believe like me, you'd be in. And this is where, and I told you a few weeks ago, arrogance is at the root of all unbelief. And so if you say you're a Christian and arrogant, you're probably not Christian. Because you got in by grace. That's the only reason that you got in. You are not saved because you're a better person. You're not saved, and this is where I wanted to push you, and this flies in the face of how we're taught. You're not saved even because you made a better choice than a Jewish person. Because your choice that you made to trust God, even that was a gift of God. That's what Ephesians 2 says, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this, what is this? That faith is a gift of God. Why? So that nobody can boast. So guess what? You didn't get in because you were good. You were got in because God is good. That's how you got in. So if that's how you got in, what's your attitude towards those who are still not in, whether they are Jewish or Gentile? It can't be arrogance. Let me illustrate this for you. I just, something, I'm going to tell you a story of something that happened this week. I was taking my kids to school, as I do most days. Lindsay does it on Mondays because I'm still sleeping off the coma from Sundays. And so Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, normally I'm taking the kids to school, then I come into the office. So I'm taking the kids to school, fighting traffic like the rest of us, trying not to lose my salvation, even though that's not possible, but <laughs> trying to act like, trying to be gracious, right? So I'm driving to school, and, and it's you know about a 20-mile drive from my house, and as I'm driving, I... You know, I, I try to stay, you know, with traffic because I don't want to, it bugs me when people slow things down or I got somewhere to be, right? And so I'm, I'm driving and there's not much space in between me and the car in front of me. And the car next to me, we're, we're starting to go on a turn. The car next to me speeds up and cuts in front of me. Yeah, that's what I felt like. <laughs> so cuts in front of me and, and my natural reaction, again, in my flesh, my natural reaction is to lay on the horn. What are you doing, right? Point him to Jesus, right? And so that's, that's I, don't do, I don't do that. I don't do that. All right, I promise you. I got kids in the car, man. Trying to set him. But here's, here's what I thought, literally, because I, I knew I was preaching this message. Here's what I thought. You know what? I got in by grace. I'm going to let them in. Yay me, right? That's not the end of the story. So we make the turn. And then we're continuing to go and we're going to turn again. And there's a car now next to the car in front of me. And the car next to them wants to get in. But the car that cut me off now starts cutting them off and will not let them in. She speeds up and she speeds up and she speeds up and she speeds up. Now listen, the car that was trying to get in had an R sticker. <laughs> if you don't know what that is, that's Revolution Church. <laughs> the white R that's outside of our building in Canton and will be in Jasper. So they have an R sticker. And I was like, oh no, she didn't. <laughs> now you're cutting off my people. You cut me off all you want. You cut off my people. So again, I'm trying to be gracious so I didn't ram her. So here's what I did. 
I slowed down and let the R car in. Because that's my people. And I prayed for the person in front of her to find Jesus, right? (laughs) And I thought to myself, man, what a great illustration for what happens so often in church. The person in front of me got in because I let her in. I could have fought, scooted up, not let her in. She got in by grace. And then the car in front of her or next to her wanted in and she wouldn't extend the same grace to my people, my family. And that's the attitude of what Paul is getting at here. That's the best way I can illustrate this to you. If you got in by grace, how in the world can you not extend grace to those who are not in? That is what Paul is saying. And we should be especially attuned to have grace towards the people through whom our Savior came, i.e. the Jewish people. And so Paul's whole argument here is, listen, you got in by grace, sucker. And since you got in by grace, don't be arrogant towards those right now who are out. And here's where he goes a step further, and we got to deal with this. He says, because if you're arrogant towards those who are out, you may not be in. You may not be in. Now, is Paul saying that you can lose your salvation? No. It's not what he's saying. Because he, he didn't say in the rest of the book, you can work your way in. No, here's what he's saying. You know you're in by grace when you extend grace to others who are not in. And this is where most people, again, especially those that have grown up in church, need to understand just because you grew up in church doesn't mean you're in. Just because you attend a service doesn't mean you're in. Just because you have a Bible cover and you tuck your shirt in because you think to dress nice is godliness doesn't mean you're in. Just because you are in Sunday school doesn't mean you're in. Just because you serve doesn't mean you're in. Just because you tithe doesn't mean you're in. There is only one thing that shows that you're in. You receive grace. You receive grace. But what is the one way that you show that you have received grace? You give grace. So when I'm giving you grace, I am showing that I myself have received it. So Paul's not saying you can lose your salvation. What he's saying is when you are ungracious to others, you prove you never had it. You prove you never had it. Look at the next verse. It says, note then that the kindness and the severity of God Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you. Now listen to this phrase, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. 
Theologically, most people call this the perseverance of the saints. And what they mean by that is this, not I have to do something to show or to be saved, but in doing it, I show that I am. So when he says you continue in his kindness, what he's saying is God is going to work that out in you. Because when God saves you by sheer grace, he's going to complete it. God who began a good work in you is going to finish it. And one of the ways that he finishes it is that you know you got in by grace. And again, this is where most Christians fail to understand. And this is what it blows my mind that most people, the longer they walk with God, the less loving they become. I mean, most people who have been Christians for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years are the least loving because they forgot that they got in by grace. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is a gift of God so that no one can boast. So I've been walking with Jesus now, and I say this often, for 20-something years, and I still haven't gotten over the fact that he let me in. And so when someone else is stumbling, that's the metaphor he's using here, whether it's Jewish people or Gentile people, when someone else is stumbling in their sin, I'm not a jerk to them because I know what it's like. I'm gracious. I'm I'm not highlighting myself. I'm just saying this is like, how can I be judgmental towards you when if God was judgmental towards me, I would be out. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's what James says. So I'm in sheerly because God was good to me, not because I was good to him. And I show that by continuing in his goodness to me. Does that make sense? I continue in grace. That's what his kindness is a reference to. I'm continuing in grace. So what that means is every day I recognize, God, I'm a sinner and I'm trusting Jesus. And I need you today to help me. I need you to give me grace. And this is the crazy part. Again, no one told me this when I was growing up once I got saved in church. No one even told me this in seminary. Listen, you can't do all this without God. No one taught me, because again, in my seminary, it was like Father, Son, Holy Bible. We didn't even talk about the Holy Spirit. And I remember learning about, I was afraid of the Holy Spirit. I'm like, start saying some weird stuff. But now in my late 30s and early 40s, I'm like, God, if you aren't gracious to me through your Holy Spirit, I can't do this. I need your power. I need your gifts. I need your grace. I can't obey without you. You've given me this command, but I can't do it. This is what Paul means when he says later, keep in step with the spirit. You got saved by the spirit. Are you now going to perfect yourself through the law? That's crazy. And when you are in step with the spirit, you will have the fruit of the spirit. And does anybody know what the first thing is in the list of the fruit of the spirit? The fruit of the spirit is what? Love. Love. This is why Jesus in Matthew 22 so closely tied love of God to love of neighbor. 
Because when I understand how much God loves me, I have no problem loving somebody else. This is why I got so upset when I let the car in, wouldn't let in the other car. And how many times have our churches, how many times have we as individual believers had that mentality towards others? This is my church. This is my parking spot. This is my row in the pews. This is where I sit. Oh, for real? How do you think you got there? You got there by sheer grace, sucker. So if you got there by grace, how about you be gracious? How about you give up your seat and sit in the back? How about you give, or better yet, we're all, you know, ex-Baptists here, right? How about you give up your seat and sit in the front? You know, don't be that back row Baptist. Listen, that's my people. If you want to give seats to other people, sit on the, look now. We got open seats all in the front. Crowded in the back. But you see what I'm saying? This is Paul's whole argument. We can't be arrogant, particularly towards those who are of the household of Israel. Why? Last two verses and we're done. Verse 23 and 24. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, Israel, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. Now, <clears throat> I love this. You want to you understand the whole Bible? Look at this next line. For God has the power to graft them in again. God has the power. For if you, here's his, here's his point A example. For if you were cut off from, by, from what is by nature a, a wild olive tree and grafted in contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back in to their own olive tree? Listen, do not ever in your mind, think that person is outside of God's power to save them. Please don't ever say, I don't want to limit God. You can't. We don't even need the context for that. You don't even need even to say it. You can't limit him. And please, in a positive way, don't ever quit praying for somebody to come to faith in Christ. God has the power to graft them in again. Listen, if Jesus can save the thief on the cross next to him in his final moments and confer onto him all the benefits he was about to purchase, Don't ever think he can't overcome somebody's resistance to him. So man, if they're Jewish or Gentile, but far from God, you pray down the power of God on their heads. Again, this is why I love the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. 
People like, I, I just, I can't believe in a God who would force himself on others. Thank God he does. Why, I can't believe in a God who his grace is irresistible. I can't resist it. Oh no, homie, you can resist it and you do every day. The, the doctrine of irresistible grace is simply this. He will overcome your resistance to him. This is why I don't understand why more Christians don't love this. Let me ask you, how in the world do you pray if you don't believe that? How in the world do you pray with confidence that God can overcome anybody's resistance on any country, in any place, in all the world? If you don't believe he has the power to do it, Man, I love this because it gives me boldness. I don't know if you can tell. What about our culture? I don't have to change the methods. I don't have to change the message. God has the power to overcome this crazy culture we live in. What are you so scared of, Christians? God's got the power. Oh, like every four years, when the election cycle, oh, God's got the power, man. What are you afraid of? God's got the power. Now, listen, I'm not saying don't vote. Vote. We're commanded to. Romans 13. We'll get into that. But quit freaking out. Because the message you're sending to the Jewish people is you don't even believe in him either. When you got so much fear and, and you have so little faith, our God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and the God of all creation. What if they kill me? You get upgraded to first class. This is why Paul's like, kill me. I don't care. I can see Jesus. Well, we're not going to kill you. We're going to make you suffer. Awesome. I get to be more like Jesus. What do you do with a dude like that? <laughs> now, listen, I'm not, it's, it's real easy for me to preach this. I, I'm saying this in a way, saying it to myself. Our God has the power to overcome anybody's resistance to him. So I, in fact, I'm convicted by this message to pray more powerfully for the Jewish people. Because even though they're not my brothers and sisters according to the flesh, they can be my brothers and sisters according to the faith. And God's got the power to graft them in. If he had, <laughs> if he had the power to graft in this wild olive sucker... He's got the power to graft them in. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for saving us. God, I get so worked up about these things because I just get so excited 
thinking about you and who you are. And God, I just get so emotional thinking about that you saved me. How you overcame my resistance. God, I don't ever want to lose that. I don't deserve anything but judgment. But you gave me grace. And so God, I pray right now for anybody listening that whether they are Jewish or Gentile, that you would break through their hard heart and open their eyes so they can respond in faith and be saved. Because God, I don't want anybody to not know you. If that's you today and you are simply willing to confess that you need Jesus, you're willing to confess your, we say sin, but really what you're confessing is your complete helplessness, your complete inability to save yourself to change your own heart. And if you're simply willing to confess that Christ became your sin and he took your punishment and he came back to life again, giving you that same life and blessing, then you'll be saved. So if you want to trust Christ right there where you are, I'm going to lead you in an opportunity to confess that. You can pray with me and not out loud and it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me, a sinner. That you sent Jesus in my place for my sin. I confess I need Christ. So would you save me? Forgive me. I give you my life. If you just prayed and trusted Christ, very simply, we want to celebrate with you. Would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see that? Thank you. We got men and women walking around gonna put a gift in your hand and when they do, you can put it down. But then those of us who've been grafted in, Jews and Gentiles alike, it's one olive tree, one salvation plan, all through Christ. 
if you have people in your life that are currently outside in their unbelief, it might be a spouse, it might be a child, it might be a coworker, it might be a parent. Start praying. I know you have been, but start praying with more faith to believe that God has the power to graft them in. I just feel the need right now to pray specifically for those that are rejecting Christ in whatever relationship they are to you. Father, we ask you right now, by the power of Christ, who was raised from the dead, to overcome whoever it is on our mind and hearts who have resistance to you, who aren't following you, who aren't walking with you. It might be our spouse, it might be our parent, it might be our child, it might be our friend. And God, our heart breaks for the fact that they're not in. So help us to be gracious to them. Help us to love them. Help us to, to be nice to them. Help us to do anything that we possibly can to let them in. But we know, God, that without your Holy Spirit opening up their eyes and, and helping them out of their spiritual darkness, they don't possess the power to come in. And so, God, we pray today in the name of Christ, by the power of your spirit, to break down their resistance to you. Overcome their resistance to you. Move powerfully in their life. If you do it through a circumstance, you do it through whatever it is, through a conversation, God. Save them. Craft them in, because you have the power to do so. God, I don't ever want somebody not to come in because I didn't believe enough for them. Whether it's people groups all over the world who've never heard Jesus, send us out to them and overcome their resistance to you. We're going in the name of Jesus whose spirit created everything that we see and created us. So we humble ourselves and we recognize that we don't have the power to do it, but we also recognize that you do. So would you do it? Do it through us. Thank you so much for grafting us in and God help us to be gracious to those you want to continue to graft in. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.